to preach to deacons sitting on the front row very often. <laughs> Bless God. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Turn, if you would, to the book of Exodus. We're going to be going through the book of Exodus on uh, Sundays. and uh, We're down to chapter 2. Uh, last week, if you missed that, I encourage you to go online, look up the uh, service, and listen to the testimony of Abby Johnson. It was a great service, a tremendous uh, challenges that we had. And we continue on here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you would, please, and you're physically able, stand with me in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. Exodus chapter 2. Did I say something else that time? <laughs> something about these deacons being right here on me, man. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> I'm not going to have the freedom today, I usually do, but no, I'm joking. Exodus 2, chapter one, verse 1, there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son, and when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when they could, when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink and his sister stood afar off to wit what would be done to him father thank you today what a glorious time already and i pray your blessings upon cody and carrie and all this family thank you for his friends and family that are here today lord they're they're precious to us and lord we're expecting you to do some great things in their lives in these days ahead. Thank you for their willingness to serve you. And I pray there'll not come a time when he turns his face from you, God, but I pray this family would keep you at the center of their will, of, of your, their life, in the center of your will for the remainder of their life. May you bless them in a special way. Bless this service for those this morning that need a touch. Lord, may you be real to them through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We come to Genesis chapter 2, and after chapter 1, in verse 15, uh, the Bible says there were two midwives, Shipna and Pua, uh, who Pharaoh had said, we want every baby born that's a boy, you go ahead and kill that baby before you give him to the mother. But there were two midwives who were more afraid of God than they were of man, and they refused to do it. And, of course, you know, as the story goes on, uh, uh, they, they, the, the king called them in, Pharaoh called them in, and said, hey, what is the deal? And they're saying, hey, they happened so fast. Uh, 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 Ashley's sister, I think, uh, got in the hospital last uh, Sunday night at 1050, uh, and, and at 1058 had a baby. That's pretty fast. And, and so they said, that's what's happening here. Those babies are coming so fast. And, of course, then he makes the decree that uh, every child two years old and younger uh, would be killed. Now, the thing that's happened that changes things is in verse 7 and verse 8 of chapter 1 of Exodus. This is just as we're getting ready to go in here because we've missed a week in between. Chapter 1, verse 7 talks about how the nation is being blessed. They're mighty before the Lord. They're growing numerically, spiritually. Everything is going great. And then all of a sudden, verse 8 says, 
But there was a new king in Egypt that did not know Joseph. He did not know what God had done. He didn't understand that the reason Egypt didn't go through the plague and all of the famine is because God sent a man there by the name of Joseph to make the plans and the preparations to keep all of that from happening. And so there's a new king. Let me tell you, I heard long ago somebody said, everybody's a fool for somebody. You're either going to be a fool for Jesus or you're going to be a fool for the devil. But everybody's got somebody that's going to be king of their life. And, uh, and so the, the, the king uh, correlation here says kill these babies. Now we come up to chapter 2. And, uh, of course, this young man that's being born here is Moses. There is a descript uh, scripture that is so, it's probably the best known description of God's involvement with the unborn. Because, folks, I want to reiterate the problem. We are children lovers and not children killers. The, the, the devil always votes for death, but God always votes for life. And in Psalm 139, the Bible says, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. That's the strongest statement of God's prenatal care that's found anywhere in the Word of God. The tiny hands and the legs, he's the one that joins them together. He forms the heart He's the one that sets it to beating. He, he watches over that little tiny thumb and guides that little thumb right to the mouth of that baby. God's in control of all of this. God has never, ever not known what was going on. And he continues to know what was going on. Abortion stands as a dividing standard and a line between two opposite worldviews. One worldview is it's all right to somebody to kill somebody else that's unborn. The other worldview is a view of life, that we're not going to kill unborn people. That's not godly. That's not from God. Uh, abortion is not politically. Let me tell you, we were pro-life before it became politically incorrect. We've been pro-life since the Word of God began. Satan always is for death. God always is for life. Satan would love to destroy your family. God wants to raise your family up. Satan would love to destroy a church. God wants to build a church. Always opposite, the worldview versus the spiritual view. It's not Democrat versus Republican. It's evil versus good. And today, we stand on the side of good. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter who's on the Supreme Court. Abortion devalues human life and says one person has a right to determine the life of another person. And we don't believe that. We don't believe that. I was visiting in a home yesterday. And, uh, you know, if we're not careful, you know, the older we get, we kind of get this mentality that we're no good to anybody else. Could I just tell you old people something this morning? Because I'm old too. I can call you old people because I'm old too. You're important to this church. 
You're important to these young families down here. They're watching you, and they're watching your testimony. They're watching your view of life. They're watching how you handle problems in your later years in life. Boy, it's tough sometimes to do that. Pharaoh has declared the midwives kill all the baby boys, and then in order that all the babies two years and and, uh, uh, younger be thrown into the Nile. And then we come up and Moses is born after Pharaoh gave the order, uh, order here. Hebrews 11.23 says this, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper or a goodly child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. When you begin to look at Moses and look at the opposites in his life, Moses was a child of a slave, yet he was the son of a queen. He was born in a hut, but he lived in a palace. He inherited poverty, yet he enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was a leader of armies, yet he was a keeper of flocks. The man was the mightiest of warriors, yet he was the meekest of men. He was educated in the court of the king, but he dwelt in the desert. He was given the wisdom of Egypt, but he had the faith of a child. He was fitted for the city, but wandered into the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin, but he endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in speech, yet he talked with God. He was a fugitive from Pharaoh, but an ambassador for heaven. He was a giver of the law, but the forerunner of grace. The Bible said that his parents had faith. What happens when you have faith? Same thing happens whether you're a parent, whether you're a deacon, whether you're someone just starting out in life, the same thing. Faith does three things. Number one, faith sees. They saw a proper child. They had faith. They they saw. You see, faith sees what others don't see. Someone has said many years ago that if you don't see it before you see it, you'll never see it. That's faith. You've got to see it before you see it in order for you to see it. And that's what's happening here. They saw that he was a goodly child. You remember when Jehoshaphat was under attack, the Moabites and the Ammonites, they were fixing to wipe him out. Everybody was upset. But I want to tell you, he had faith. You know why? Because he saw God working in the background. Listen, God's always at work. Always at work. Faith sees the Lord and faith focuses upon the Lord and not upon mankind and our circumstances. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith sees what others do not see. They saw that in Moses. God is always at work behind the scenes. So faith not only sees, but faith acts. The Bible says that they acted to save Moses' life. They were convinced that God had a special purpose for Moses. And so he was a goodly child. They knew God had a calling for him, a purpose for him. Faith produces courage and confidence to swallow up our fears. How do we do that? Looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's how we do that. Now, some of you may be saying, well, wait a minute. If they had faith, if, if Jochebed and Amron had faith, 
Why'd they hide Moses? I want to tell you, some of you need to learn this principle this morning. Having faith does not mean that you can do stupid things. Now, I know I shouldn't have used that word, but I didn't have another word for it. I just want to tell you, just because you've got faith, don't throw common sense out the window. I've got faith that God has every one of us a day numbered when we're going to breathe our last breath. But don't walk out here on the loop in front of an 18-wheeler to test him. Huh? Hey, the Bible says faith acts. Faith acts. Some people think, well, faith means I just sit and do nothing. No, when you're walking by faith, that's one of the busiest times you'll ever have for the Lord. Faith acts. Now listen, the mother of Moses, the Bible says, laid the ark in the flags by the river's brink. Now I want to tell you something. Listen to me now. Before that mama could ever lay that ark in that Nile River, that mama had to lay that heart in the heart of God. That mama didn't just dream up one morning, let's take him down and put him in the Nile River. That mama had already turned him over to God. That mama had already said, Lord, he's yours. You do with him as you please. We're going to do everything we can to act out faith, but we're going to trust you. A lot of times we're, we're amazed at the confidence of men or, or maybe uh, the, the examples that men give in trying times. But you see, what we've not done is we've not seen what those men went through before those outward trying times came. So you see, here's the deal. You'll never be more for God in public than you are with God in private. You want to be a warrior for God? Then you get with God in private. Because if you're not getting with God in private, you're not going to do anything in public either. Faith sees. Faith acts. But let me tell you what else. Faith risk. Risk. It, uh, Moses was put him on the reeds or the flags in the shallow waters of the Nile River. And you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is, this is the river that Pharaoh has ordered all the babies to be put into. Death. Death is what that river represents. But God turns that death around and makes life. Can you imagine? I mean, this whole story, we don't have time this morning, but bless God. I mean, here, here this kid is born. He's supposed to die. He ends up being taken in by Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh ends up paying Moses' mama to be his nanny, to raise her own child. He's footing the bill for the guy who's going to become before a later Pharaoh who's going to say, let my people go. And God's got all this stuff worked out. Faith is a risk. It's a risk. Wow. The word ark here is the same word that's used for ark in Genesis with Noah's ark. You see, if you get in the ark, you're protected. We don't need an ark anymore today because Jesus has died on Calvary for our sins. Moses was brought to the place of death, but he was secure in the ark. I want to tell you, the devil today is still in the death business. He'll do everything he can to try to dismember you, to, to disorient you, to distract you, to destroy you. But God's in the life-giving business. 
And I don't care what you came in here with today. If you'll submit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll give you new life. Hey, these aren't just songs. Our God is an awesome God. These aren't not, these just songs. Our sins have been forgiven. I think about that old song, Hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah to the Lamb that was slain upon the tree. By his stripes we are healed. By his blood we are sealed. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. That's the Lamb we serve today, folks. Could I just draw one more parallel here and we'll be through? When Jesus was born, it moved a Herod so much in fear. You remember the Magi came and Herod said, hey, I'm looking for him too. When you find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can go and worship him too. But yet God uh, told them not to do that, go home in a different way because he wanted to destroy Jesus. The Bible says when Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and in its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Can you imagine that scene in Bethlehem? Can you imagine the soldiers banging on the doors, going in those bedrooms, taking out every boy child that was two years old or younger, I don't know, maybe putting a sheet over their head, slitting their throat, mama screaming, daddy screaming, children in the side are screaming, brothers and sisters are screaming. And the Bible says the next morning, every child in that city, in that vicinity, had been killed, except the one that Herod wanted killed. Hallelujah. He's still alive. He's still alive. As long as God is on his throne, children are forever a blessing and not a curse. Are they a burden? Oh, my soul. <laughs> I picked up my two grandkids yesterday from school, and I'm telling you, it's loud. It's loud. I think the school uh, serves straight sugar candy right at closing time. I know our nursery does. I know if you get home and your child don't want to eat, there's a reason for that. They're eating good up here at the nursery. Amen? And it got so loud, I tell you, and a couple of times I said, all right, let's go. And then, I, you know, God said, hey, let them be loud. There's going to come a day when they're not loud. I love for children to be loud. I, I, I'll be honest, I'll shoot straight with you. There have been times in this church when there wasn't nobody crying. There wasn't no children. Some of you remember those days. Then, bless God, I remember that lady taking that baby out, and, and I said, lady, don't go out. You're no, the baby's not bothering me. She said, no, but you're bothering my baby. <laughs> but I want to tell you, children are a wonder from God. They're a blessing from God. They're a heritage from God. We've got to make sure that we protect our children that we do everything we can as a church. Listen, as your pastor, I, I, I know we're walking on some hollow ground here because this church has a vision 
to not only reach the families in this church, but to reach children who are not in this church. And I want to tell you, we're, we're doing everything we can to keep things on the straight and narrow and to do everything we possibly can. But I just want you to remember, because some of you, I'm looking at you. I'm looking at a deacon that was that way. Ten years ago, if you went to see him, you know what he'd probably do? Cuss you out. That's all he, he, that's what he, he knew to do. And some of these children we're picking up, they, they, they don't know anything else. What they need is a Christian to put their arm around him and say, listen, we don't do that here. We don't act that way here. Correct them, but do it in love. Don't grab them by the collar and sling them. You ain't going to run in here. Well, I, I ain't going to running in here. If somebody gets filled with a ghost and they want to run, that's all right with me. Be an encouragement. I guess through all of this, my prayer has been, God, help us as a church to stand up when others say sit down. Help us to stand up when others say sit down. God often works through those that the world considers to be foolish. I had a couple of things I just looked up I thought was kind of humorous, but it's how God works. In 1525, the Bishop of London bought every Tisdale uh, uh, New Testament uh, that he could. Tyndale, not Tisdale. Tisdale's later in Fort Worth. Tyndale was in, in London. He bought every one of them he could get a hold of. Not to pass them out to people, but to burn them up so that people couldn't read them. And yet God blessed the Tyndale with money, and he made more than he had ever made before, printed out more New Testaments than he'd ever printed out before and passed them out. God's always at work. Haman, you remember in the Old Testament, set out to destroy Mordecai? He set out to destroy the Jews by the Persian law, but his plan backfired. He was the one that ended up getting hung on the gallows, and the Persian law enabled the Jews to legally destroy their enemies. You remember the story. I could go on all day. You remember the story of Daniel? And then people went to turn Daniel in because they were after Daniel. And yet the very lions that was supposed to eat Daniel up end up eating up the people who turned in Daniel. Woo, what a mighty God we serve. Voltaire set out to exterminate the Bible. After his death, the Geneva Bible Society purchased his home and printed and warehoused Bibles there. The radio station of Nazi Germany is now being used by Transworld Radio to preach the gospel. Who are you looking to this morning? I want to tell you, we need to look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When, I, when, when we get to looking at, at our situations, it looks bleak. It looks dim. It looks like a petty party. I don't know. I'm not, I guess I'm the only one. I start out so many of my prayer meetings with pity parties. Lord, I'm whining about this and I'm whining about that. And then God begins to take over. And I realize that I'm only just passing through this world. 
I've got to stand up, and there will be trials. There will be tribulation. Brother Aaron said it so perfectly earlier on. There are ruined hearts. There are ruined lives. But I want to tell you, when we walk by faith, when we see, when we act, and when we risk, God is going to bless. Father, I thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you, first of all, for Cody and Carrie, their family. Thank you for saving him and her. Thank you, Lord, that these children will never have to experience what Cody experienced because he's bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And thank you, Lord, for those who are in this place today. Lord, in this place are people that are broken and hurting, and they need you. And it's not just another statement we make, but Jesus is still the answer. Whatever problem they've got, Jesus is still the answer. I'm praying today, Lord, you'll reach down through the Holy Spirit and touch that one that needs to be saved before it's too late. God, maybe there are people in this church sitting here this morning that you've already told and directed you want them to become a part of this church. Lord, may that happen today. Maybe there are those that just need to come to this altar and just say, oh, God, help me to stand up when everybody else is telling me to sit down. I, I don't want to be foolish, and I don't want to just stand for anything. But, oh, Lord, have mercy. May we stand for Jesus. May we stand to know that you're the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through you. Have your way in this day, in Jesus' name. Would you stand as Brother Aaron leads us? You